0: so let's just pray. The Holy Spirit, we just ask in Jesus' name that you would lead and guide us this morning, Lord, that you would bring revelation to us, Lord. But Father, there's nothing we desire more than you. We love you, Lord God, and we want to be a blessing to you. We want to honour you. We want to give you the honour and the glory that you deserve, Lord God, and we don't want a, a lack of knowledge or distractions to remove us from giving you our best and experiencing your best in our lives, Lord God. So we ask, Lord, that you would lead us into all this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So last week we closed with the scripture in Exodus thirty-four, fourteen, which says, God is a jealous God. Amen. God is a jealous God, and that's because he loves us. Amen. And he doesn't want to flirt with us. He wants us completely. We're the bride of Christ and God is a jealous God. So when other things take God's place in our lives, that's when we've got to change those things around. And I'm one of those people I have to constantly keep remembering and coming back to the cross and pushing aside other things that might encroach in my life and take the place of God or distract me or Uh, be a hindrance to me so it's important that we do that now many people as I said last time believe the presence of God is the miracles the wonders, the signs and wonders the feathers, the, uh, the tangible presence of God and a lot of people think that is the glory of God And sometimes that is there and and it's not bad at all and it's good and sometimes you you just feel so connected with God in your heart and your spirit and it's wonderful. But it is not all about that. We have to be careful that we're not chasing the presence of God for our emotional fulfilment because we make it about ourselves and we don't make it about him. We've got to be chasing the presence of God for who he is not for what I get. Amen. And sometimes you meet people in life and they're in your life and they only want you for what you can do for them. In reality, you've, you've got the right connection they need. You can open a door for them. You can do something. It might be financial. It might be so on, so forth. Whatever it is, there's that kind of sense that they don't really want you for you. It's about what you can offer them. Amen. And we have to be careful that we don't do that for God. That, yes, we can seek his hands, and yes, we can go to God and we can share our needs and say, help me, Father, I need this, that, the other, or I desire this, that, and the other. But it never outweighs seeking God for who he is. Amen? Don't you want your children to love you for who you are, not the fact that you can help them in some way? You do that anyway, because that's your parental Inbuilt nature of a parent is to look after their offspring. We, uh, you know, we've got this aviary. This is how it started out. I built my aviary. Mara helped me, but I built my aviary because it was my little project and my little hobby. But then, little Mrs Birdie over here, has began to take over, and she started choosing the birds. And she started doing this, she started doing that, and now she's got her own little cage inside the aviary where she's been looking after a baby bird, and this morning we released it into the aviary, flew around. Its mother came to kind of check on it, didn't want to know at all, attacked its own mother. The dad came to check on it, he went, oh, daddy. (laughs) Honestly, it's really weird, wasn't it? But that little bird is chasing his dad round the aviary at this moment in time because he wants to be fed. Okay, a bit like Caleb with me. As soon as I come in, it's like, Dad, Dad, please, what, please, I need to eat food. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? There's a cupboard. He said, yeah, but it's not got dominoes in it. Yeah, they had dominoes last night for dinner. You and Caleb, didn't you? See, there you go, pointy case. But it's about chasing after God the Father because we love Him, we want Him for who He is, not just for what He can do. So the presence of God is not all about us and us feeling good about ourselves and feeling whole and complete. That we receive that, but that's not the purpose, as it were, not the main thing. Imagine this. When you die and you're in the very presence of God, himself, you will see God face to face. Guess what? If we think the presence and glory of God is all about the feelings and the miracles and the manifestations, when you're in the presence of God, you ain't going to see no miracles. Because they're not necessary. You're in heaven. You're complete. You're whole. You're totally whole. You will see Jesus face to face and there's no mourning, there's no sicknesses, no illnesses, there's nothing. And you will just crave after God for who he is. Amen. And that's being in the very presence of God. Wonderful. Brilliant. We all want that, amen. Anyone want to go in there? Ah <laughs> So we're called to reflect his glory as well. Well, how do we do that? We reflect his character. As I said last week, somebody said about my daughter, they said, Matthew, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, meaning she was like me. So, we're called to reflect the heart of God. And you've got to have the right perception of God to reflect the heart of God. Okay? Sometimes being in the presence of God is not a nice thing. It's not. If you read your word, sometimes when the angel of the Lord turned up or the presence of God or Jesus was manifest, they fell on the floor prostrate, petrified. at The awe and the presence, the manifestation of God. And sometimes in worship, you can get that tangible presence of God. And sometimes it's wonderful and you just feel the warmth of the Father's arms around you. Other times it's blimmin' awful because he convicts you of sin. Amen? Have you been in the presence of God? And then God convicts you of sin, the Holy Spirit convicts you, and you say, oh, oh, Lord, oh, oh. And he, it's not to condemn us, it's to forgive us and set us free. Amen? But sometimes the presence of God is challenging, convicts us, changes us, sharpens us, highlights our imperfections. David was called a man after God's own heart, and he desired the presence of God continually. Hebrews says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And sometimes people are chasing manifestations because they're not really certain. Now me and Ricky were having this conversation a little while ago and we were saying sometimes you meet groups of people and they're running from one conference to another conference because God has manifested here, He's manifested there, He's manifested in Toronto, He's manifested in Florida, He's manifesting in and they're constantly chasing after because they want the signs and wonders. And sometimes you look at them and you think, Wow, they're so mature in God, they're doing all this chasing and do you know what? Sometimes it's not maturity. Sometimes it's immaturity and insecurity. I don't need no gold fillings or uh, manifestations of God to prove God to me. I don't need it. I know in my heart. I don't need to go to a conference to see a manifestation. It's irrelevant. The word of God is enough for me. My own conviction of God is enough for me. Now, I'm not saying those things are bad, but uh, what I'm saying is, Sometimes we think that that's maturity, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's just chasing after because of what we're getting from it. And we need that manifestation to bolster up our faith and make us feel better. I saw a healing, I saw a this, I saw a man, and I feel more convinced. Do you know what? I could see the dead rise. It would make me no more convinced of my Lord Jesus because I don't need any conviction at all, about my Lord. Amen? Now there's three aspects we're just going to touch on. A true encounter with God, like the one Moses had, a true encounter with God brings change. It brings change. The Holy Spirit does not turn up for entertainment purposes. Okay? That is not the purpose of the Holy Spirit's manifestation. The purpose of the Holy Spirit manifesting is to bring change. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. The Holy Spirit comforts us. The Holy Spirit convicts us. The Holy Spirit leads us. You know? So, it brings genuine change. And sometimes you meet people and they've been to this place and that place and, oh, the Holy Spirit was so powerful and this happened and that happened. three weeks later, they're filled up with, with as much fear as they had before. They're filled up with as many insecurities as they had before. They've still got as much unforgiveness as they had before. They're still as timid as they were before. Nothing tangible has changed. When they walk out of the tent from the meeting, they're like, oh, oh, it's wonderful, it's fantastic. Three weeks later, you know, when they first come out, they love everybody and they've forgiven everybody and everything. Three weeks later, they're back to the miserable old sod they were before they went in the tent. In reality, you know, sorry Steve, Uh, I just get passionate. But, you know, it's just reality though. And I think, well, that can't be the tangible presence of God then, can it? Because in the tangible presence of God, change takes place. There's a metamorphosis. Something happens to us. I don't want to be the way I was. I want to be the man God wants me to be. But you see these so-called manifestations. You think, where's their lasting impact or value? And then you've got a question, is it really God? Or is it emotion and desire? But it wasn't really God. See, sometimes we look for God in the earthquake and the big, this, other times God says, in the small voice. In the small voice, with that little voice. That's sometimes the presence of God. So what we have to look for is, is it genuine? Is it genuine? The presence of God brings conviction to sin. Why? Because he cleanses us, he loves us. You know? Scripture says, if anyone says he is without skin, uh, sin, he is a liar. We all fall short. We all fail. We, we tittle-tow. We, we backbite. We don't encourage. We tear down. We gossip. We can be malicious. We can be uncaring. We can be self-centered. Because we're human, that's the fall of man. It's a, inbuilt in us. But the spirit man rises up above that and says, no, I'm not going to be like that. I am going to be caring. I am going to be willing to do. I am going to be. Why? Because that's the nature of God. The presence of God causes a change of heart and mind. Amen? Heart and mind changes. The, the, The values that I had years ago are completely different to the values I've got now. My mind in so many different areas, it's completely different to my mindset of before. And it's what you set your mind on. Your mind's like a computer. And you what you set it on, it will produce from that place. And if you set it on the things of the world, if you set it on unforgiveness, resentment, looking back, everything else, that's that's what it's going to produce. A computer uh, is thick. It can't do anything. It can only calculate the information that goes into it. If nobody puts the information into the computer, you won't get no information out of the computer. And we're the same. you've got to protect your mind. What do you watch? What do you think about? What do you read? You know, be careful, protect your mind. And the world we live in, you put the news on, you're just battered constantly with fear. Put the TV on, it's like, oh, uh, uh, These new cremations they're doing. Oh, take out life insurance, new cremations, life insurance. Oh, leave your money to the dog society. Leave your money to this, leave your money to that. Oh, uh, uh, invest into this, invest into that. All right, that's all depressing. I'll change the channel, put the news on. Oh, this war's happening there, that war's happening here. Taxes have gone up, petrol's going up. This is getting worse. The end of the world is nigh. Put another channel on where EastEnders, you might as well just get a rope and have done with it. I mean, you're just right <laughs> like at the bottom of it. It's just so depressing. And I've learned to protect my mind. I said to Mark, I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to watch it. Not that I don't want to live in reality. It's just not healthy for me. It just, when I was a kid and you watched the news, yeah, there was the news. And then you'd have something about Terry the tortoise. Who lived in someone's back garden? There'd be this happy ending somewhere. There'd be something to lift you up at the end of it all. But nowadays, it's, it's just awful. Absolutely awful. It's meant to be funny today. Yeah, I know. The presence of God causes us to mature in our faith and our character. If we're not growing and we're not maturing, we're not really ex- experiencing the presence of God. The presence of God, for me, becomes so tangible when I read his story, when I read his autobiography, when I read his prophecies, when I read this romance book of how much he loves me, even in spite of me. I oh, it causes my faith to grow. It causes me to change. When I worship, when I pray, When we have an encounter with God, it causes maturity. When we encounter God, God's will is revealed. If you want to know the will of God, spend some time with God and you will find out the will of God. That's how you get to know people, by investing into them and spending time with people. You find out little bits and pieces about people's lives, their likes, their dislikes, so on, so forth. Don't talk to Steve about Amazon, honestly. It's, yeah, exactly, you know, could you know him. Do You don't want to have a conversation with Steve about Amazon, okay? Don't talk to Mike about the old URC and the Church of England and everything <laughs> else. You will set him off like a firework. Don't talk to Tony about, uh, uh, what's, makes this happened. The Formula One driver. Because you don't, you don't like him, do you? Formula One. These two know everything about Formula One. They just do. Do you know what I mean? You get to know people and you get to know. It's exactly the same. <laughs> it's exactly the same with God. If you want to know the will of God, start reading your Bible. Start spending time with the Lord. Start seeking His presence. The presence of God invokes worship. When you really think about the glory of God, doesn't it make you just want to worship him? You're just humbled. You just think, oh, I'm such a donut, and you're so big and amazing and perfect and wonderful, and I love you, and you created the heavens and the earth, and though the world is spiraling out of control, you hold it all in your hands and you say, it's all right, I've got it all, I've created it all. And you just get humbled by the character of God, by his presence. It just causes you to worship God. You begin to give him the fruit of your lips. Say, I love you, you're so wonderful. It causes worship, genuine worship. And it brings assurance and strength to our lives. That's the presence of God. When you're in the presence of God, you stop fluttering round with fear. You stop worrying about things. You start to remember, your faith begins to grow. God's got it all in control. Yes, that situation's not good that I'm facing, but God's got it in control. He's got it. It's going to be okay. Irrespective, it will be fine. And it causes a maturing of our faith. Number two, living in the presence of God is to, de- to have the desire to live a righteous life. To live right in God. When, you're, when sin does abound, grace does more abound. See, when I first got saved as a baby Christian, I carried on working, cashing hands, signing on. I didn't have no conviction at all. Fine, so, doing it all the time. Smoking my weed. I was quite happy. Yeah, very happy in actual fact. <laughs> but, you know, I was smoking my weed. I felt no conviction. I was quite happy about these things. I, but about three months later, the more time I spent reading the word, that become a bit more uncomfortable. I wasn't quite sure, you know. And even with smoking, I took, I took the cheats' way out, I took the Gideon's way out. Because I didn't want to give up smoking. I knew God wanted me to, because it's bad for you, and it's a waste of money. And I knew God wanted me to give up smoking, but I didn't want to give up smoking. So, do you know what I did? I pulled a holy stunt. I I got, I smoked my cigarettes, I had the ashtray full of dog ends, cigarette butts, and they're there. I said, alright, God, I will be like Gideon. If in the morning all the cigarette ends are gone, then I'll take it, you want me to give up smoking. But if they're still there in the morning, I'll take it, you're all right with it. So I go to bed, smoke the cigarettes, put them away. I wake up in the morning, lo and behold, they were still there. Get in, you know. Seven years later, I realised I was just trying to con my way along in this sort of thing. And seven years later, I gave up smoking. I gave up smoking, I smoked my last cigarette looking in the mirror. That's what I did, my last cigarette. I lit my cigarette and I stood there looking I said, Enjoy this, it'd be the last one you ever had. And I smoked my last cigarette looking in the mirror. And it was well, after about three weeks I faltered. I bought some cigarettes, I smoked like oh, I was sick as a dog. Oh, I was so ill, it was coming out of here, it was coming out of there, it was awful. Honest I was on the floor, shaking, I felt so rough, I thought I was having a panic, I thought I was gonna die. See, when I said when I said to the Lord, I want to give up smoking, and Lord, if ever I smoke again, make it taste like rotten socks, I think he took that literally. <laughs> it was awful. And I tried to give up smoking for years. Have you ever tried herbal cigarettes? It's like smoking in your back garden. It is. It's awful. It's like smoking a bonfire. And then I tried Nicorette patches. And then I tried Nicorette chewing gum. And of course, after I'd had a chewing gum... That was nice. Fancy fag, man. I was (laughs) OD. I'd had more nicotine in my body than you could imagine. But anyway, the point is, in the presence of God, you begin to desire, I want to be righteous. I want to be clean. I want to be the way you want me to be. I'm willing, Lord, for you to mould me. I don't really want to give up that, and I do want that, and I don't like giving that away, but But all right then. And we surrender. That's what the presence of God does. See, sometimes we say, we've been in the presence of God and people come away and they're not changed at all. And I think you haven't been in the presence of God. What are you talking about? You know? The presence of God changes our heart. It causes us to live in obedience. Yes, we might falter, we might drop the ball, we might make mistakes, but there's a general desire there that I want to be obedient to God. And sometimes, the presence of God, you don't always feel that immediate response from the Lord. You know, sometimes you pray, and sometimes you can feel like you're just praying, your prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and coming straight back down. But that's a feeling, that's not truth. Fact is, every time you pray, our prayers move the hand of God our prayers, the prayers of the saints are in the throne room of heaven, in the golden bowl, the altar, and they are the fragrance of the throne room. That's, wow, that's powerful. Wow. The presence of God brings the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit becomes evident. Galatians 5:22, verse 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, c- kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. That's Paul's sarcasm on the end. He's saying, look, there's no law to produce the gifts of the Spirit. You're not doing anything wrong. They're the fruit of the Spirit. And so you look at people, and I want, that's what I want to produce in my life, you know, because that's a reflection of the Holy Spirit working within me. David desired, he, he prayed to God and he said, may I walk blameless before you. May I walk blameless in my heart. But you know what? He still sinned and he still failed he's human. But his desire was to get it right. It's a bit like your children, when they want to help you with something. When Leah was little, and I would do DIY, she would always want to help me. And you kind of accept the help begrudgingly, really, because you know it's going to take the job a lot longer, and something's probably going to get broke when you give a two-year-old a hammer, you know. And uh, there's photos of Leah helping me doing things. And I'm like, just, all right, just bang that bit. Okay, dada, smack. But no, not that bit, this bit, you know? And it takes a bit. But you look at the desire of their heart. They just want to help. Yes, she's getting it wrong, but she wants to help. It's the same as, as I said before, when your kids come home from school and they've done a picture and they want you to put it up on the fridge and you look at it and say, it's just a scribble. It's all it is. It's a scribble with a few dots. And say, so, well, what is it? It's a doggie. And you've been in school all day and that's a dog? You know? But, yeah. but do you know what? I did it for you, Daddy. Oh, well, that's different then. Oh, well, It's the best doggy in the world. Suddenly it changes, doesn't it? Because of the heart and the intention. When Adam walked in the garden, Adam and Eve sinned. Genesis 3 verse 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to man, where are you? Now he knew where Adam was, obviously, but he was saying, where are you in your heart? Something 's changed. Where are you? You can sit in the middle of a church service and be a million miles away from God. Just sitting in the church service don 't mean Jack. Where are we in our hearts? He's a jealous God. Has he got your heart? or are there other things you see there 's a battle for our love. There 's a battle for our time. There's a battle that goes on. The enemy doesn't want you to spend time with God. Why? Because it will produce in your life. So distractions come in of all different types and kinds. If I do a bit more overtime, I'll make a bit more money. I can buy that thing. I'm not condemning that. I'm just saying, but how much is that going to encroach and pull you away from, you know? So many people, you pray for them uh, for jobs and this, that and the other and then you suddenly see them disappear more and more and more away. and Before you know it, God's gone out the window because they got all what they wanted. You know? And we have to be careful. Make sure that God always gets the victory with your time. But God knew exactly where Adam was. But he was saying, where are you in your heart, Adam? God knows exactly where you are continually. Even when we try to run away from God. Adam ran away from God, but he never left the presence of God. See what I mean? You can run, but you can't hide, as it were. You can run. You can escape. You can try, but you never get away from the presence of God. You know? Years ago, <clears throat> not long after we got married, Marva went through a lot of deliverance ministry in church. It was really hard for us, and so I wanted to find uh, basically a church where the Spirit of God wasn't really moving much. And I found a Baptist church, I thought, brilliant. I lasted about two services, that was it. I needed to be in the presence of God. There was a little boy I knew that he used to get embarrassed doing things publicly. So in any school plays or anything like that, he would cover up one eye. Because he thought if he covered up his eye, then you couldn't see him you know, and then he'd do the play because he was shy, but he'd have one hand over his eye, you know. And sometimes we can try and run from the presence of God. Now, we can walk away from being used by God. We can move into sin and rebellion, but you'll never walk, you can never walk out of a relationship with God. He's a jealous God. He's got you. Amen? You just will be ineffective and not come into the fullness of what he has for you. You can be in the presence of God and have strife in your life. Sometimes people think, oh, this is going wrong, that's going wrong, that's falling apart. I'm just not close to God. I'm just not in his will. I'm not in his presence because these things are going wrong all the time. And we, we think there's a huge void that's coming because we're tripping up and things are going wrong all the time and so on and so forth. And we can think that we're miles away. If that's the case... and Listen to this scripture from Paul talking. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times from the Jews I received 40 lashes or whippings minus one. Three times I've been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I've been shipwrecked, I've spent a day and a night in open sea, I've been constantly on the move, I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger in the sea, in danger from forced brothers. I have labelled and told, and I have often gone without sleep, and I have known hunger and thirst, and I have often gone without food, and I have been cold and naked, yet he was in the presence of God. Wonderful. Huh? That I mean, give you some hope. I mean, the poor guy, it couldn't get any worse. I mean, flipping heck, all that going on, everything going wrong. You, he must have thought it was the Antichrist. You know, with that much negativity. But yet, he was one of the closest New Testament apostles to the Lord. With such revelation, such love. Most of, three quarters of the New Testament. His letters equipped people. And he could sit there and say, I'm giving up with this. This is a joke. I don't feel close to the Lord at all. If he based it on his circumstances. But he, he doesn't. And sometimes you can look to the wrong things to gauge whether you're close to God or not. You know, you're not as far away as you think, and he's not far from you. He's as close as his name. That gives me such hope when things go wrong in your life. You know, last year with Mara, such ill health through the brain tumour and we were facing financial difficulties and we were facing that difficulties and, you know, different things going on in our lives, and you start to trying to think, oh, have I, have I said something wrong? Have I got a curse over me? Is someone praying against me? You, you want to plug the, the leak before the boat sinks. Do you know what? There was nothing wrong. There's this little old thing called life. Life comes at you. Just because you're a Christian, it don't mean it's not going to come at you. It's going to rain on you, whether you like it or not. It's not some hole in the cloud everywhere a Christian walks and it's bone dry. It's wonderful. Everyone's got an umbrella. Well, I walked bone dry, it's fantastic. Stay with me, get suntan all year long. It don't work like that. It rains on everybody. The difference is when it rains on you, you've got Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know how to deal with the rain. Amen. And sometimes we can beat ourselves up and sort of like almost put our relationship with God down a bit because of the things that are going on. What hinders the presence of God? Number one, sin. Just like Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve walked with the Lord in the cool of the day. Every day they were in his presence. Sin came in and they backed away. God didn't back away though. God still turned up. God was on time. It didn't matter what was going on. It didn't stop God loving them. But they backed away, and that's what sin does—it causes us to back away. 1 John 1:9. 1, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Isn't that great? Wonderful. Number two, pride. When pride comes in, James 4:6 says, "God opposes the proud, but gives grace." the humble. Sometimes we don't realise how off-putting pride is to God. When you read that scripture, it says God opposes. That, that means he puts his hand out and stops you. He opposes. Pride ruins more good Christian men and women than any other sin or attack I've ever witnessed. Pride is the root core problem. And you see great people with lots of potential get ruined because of pride. They begin to look down on everybody else. They're better than other people. They deserve that job more than that one. They're this. They're that. And puff the flesh, puff the flesh, puff the flesh. But see, in the kingdom of God, it's the other way around. If you will humble yourself, then God will raise you up. And when he raises you up, You won't fall down. But if you try and build yourself up, you're going to stumble. Amen? When we read last week about Moses, we saw that his humility, Moses was humble, stupid at times, but he was humble. He was a humble man. He knew his need of God, he knew his weaknesses. In actual fact, Moses didn't even want to be a leader. He didn't want to lead the people of Israel. You know, he wouldn't bounce it up and down and go and pick me, pick me. It was quite the opposite. It was saying, pick somebody else. In actual fact, he says to God at one point, if this is how you're going to treat me, then kill me. He said, I'd rather die than lead this people. You know? He was a humble man. Number three is a lack of faith and unbelief. When unbelief creeps in, Faith begins to diminish. And Paul said, stir up the gift of faith that is within you. And you have to stir it up. How do you stir it up? Get with the right people. Iron sharpens iron. Get with people who are on fire. If you want to get on fire, get with people who are on fire. Who you mix with, you become. It is reality. It's just the way it is in life. Get with people who will challenge you. Iron sharpens iron. Sometimes you might not like them, but you know there's something about that It's going to get you to where you need to be in God. Get with people who build you up. If you're meeting with people and all they do is gossip and slate people and this, that and the other and negativity and pulling things down continually, don't walk away from that person. Run! 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 Don't get contaminated with it all, you know? A lack of passion or desire. Sometimes we we lack passion or desire and in any relationship there needs to be a passion for one another, even in a friendship. If you lose your passion for a friend, you're not going to meet up. It just won't happen. It's the same in a marriage. You need to keep the embers burning. You know, when we got married, uh, uh, people used to say, oh, oh, you're on the fireworks now. After a couple of months, that's it. That's done. Fireworks are done, mate. Put the shackle on. That's you sorted. Yeah, and that was, that was the opinion. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I quite like the fireworks, you know. And so I make an effort. I go out of my way to bless my wife. Let's go out for dinner. Let's do this. Let's do that. She gets in the car. She's on her phone. I'm like, why would you get in the car and get on your phone? Oh, I'm just replying to my Facebook. I'm just replying to, I don't care. You're with me, not the blimmin' phone. You can do that when you get back and do it. Just a quick one, just a quick one, just a quick one. She does, honest. you the same. That's what they do. And then they go, oh, you don't want to spend time with me. What? You want to spend time with your phone. That's the problem. Get off your phone and spend time with me. But we need, even with the Lord, that passion, that desire, we need to stir that up in our relationship with God. Revelations chapter three, verse sixteen. So because you are lukewarm, you are neither hot, neither are you cold. I will I am about to spit you out of my mouth. Wow. Hot or cold? Some things that are lukewarm aren't nice. Lukewarm cup of tea. Oh, It's awful. I have to have my tea hot. I have to. Some people, they can leave their cup of tea and they drink it cold or lukewarm. I'm like, oh, how can you do that? A warm cup of water on a hot day and you're like, oh, how can you drink that? It's either got to be cold or it's got to be hot. When I was a lad, my, my brother and my dad were always on my case to get them a glass of water. Get me a drink Walk Matt. Get me a drink Matt. All the time, drive me up the wall. I was only about eight or nine. One day I thought I've had enough of this. I went to the toilet. And I got two glasses of water straight out the pan. I thought, that'll teach you proper good. Here you go, Dad. Here you go, Gary. And I walked off. They're sitting there drinking. And then my father said, where did you get that from? <laughs> and I did that. I started laughing. Do you know what? They never asked me again. It worked perfectly. This is a hindrance, feeling unworthy or guilty. When we feel unworthy or guilty, we retract from the presence of God. We don't feel worthy, I don't feel good enough, I don't feel, you know, I've committed some heinous sins, awful sins, as a Christian, as a non-Christian. You know, and what's it make you do? You feel guilty, you feel horrible, you feel unworthy, you don't deserve nothing or anyone. You know, sometimes it can drive you to suicide. And you feel so, such a self-hatred. How could God even look at me? And you despise yourself because guilt can rob you. And it's the complete opposite with the way God deals with us in reality according to the word of God. Like the prodigal. He delights when a son or a daughter comes home. It doesn't say, Oh, you horrible little git. What do you bother coming back for? Don't darken my door. God doesn't do that. He saw the prodigal son coming. <laughs> yes, he's coming back. Yes, he's wasted all his money on the prostitutes and, and wild living. He's been eating pig food and everything else. But I don't care. That's my boy. And he's coming back. Come on, light a fire, let's have a party. This is fantastic. But even in the church sometimes people look and say, I beg to differ, you know. Be careful of feelings of guilt or rejection that can separate you. Most people who suffer with rejection aren't actually being rejected. They have at some point and it scarred them. But then they live in a a, a dangerous cycle where they, they feel rejected. They're not being rejected, but they feel rejected. And because they feel rejected, they then put out an atmosphere and persona of rejection. And then because of that, people are not sure how to handle it and they retract from that person and what that does, it confirms that they now are being rejected and they just get stuck in a cycle. It's awful, it's like a prism. What happens when we're in the presence of God? There's an old chorus that goes, and in his presence the darkness flees. In his presence, the darkness flees. In the presence of God, the enemy flees. The worries flee. The insecurity flees. All these things begin to flee. If you're struggling, just get in the presence. Put some worship music on, get your Bible open, start praying, and you'll feel the burden beginning to lift. God is omnipresent. He's not limited by time, space, or matter. Amen? He's omnipresent. He's with you all the time. He's promised that he would be with you all the time. The question is, do you engage with him? Do you recognize his presence? Do you desire it? Worship invokes the presence of God, or that intimate feeling of God. Worship's important, but we must worship in truth. That's what scripture says. God is looking for those who worship him in spirit and in truth. Do you know, every song we sing in this church, the lyrics are checked to make sure that they are correct, theologically, according to the word of God. That's what we do. Because we want to be in spirit and in truth. You can put some stuff on Premier Christian Radio. You can listen to some stuff on YouTube. The biggest load of old rubbish. And they're singing to God a load of old tosh. It's rubbish. It's nonsense. It's not truth. You know? And it's important that we sing scripturally in the truth. That's why I love old hymns from the 1800s. Why? Because they're all just written straight off of the Bible. You know? They're absolutely wonderful. You might not like the tempo but you won't go wrong with the words, you know? And guess what? The words are more important to God than the tempo. All right? God don't sit up there and go, I don't like this one. <laughs> Gabriel, get down there and get him to change it. Muck Luke's computer up. Oh, I can't stand this one. It doesn't yet. It, God don't care about tempo. That's us. We don't care about style. That's how some people are loud. They sing with a foghorn, really loud. Other people are quiet. Other people have got terrible voice. My voice is awful. I do. I do. It's just a fact. I don't mind. Even my children say, "Dad, don't please, just don't, don't sing, Dad. Don't do it." You know, A mother sings loud. She's singing this morning in the kitchen, I'm at the end of the garden, I think that's the neighbours, that's their Sunday morning gone, because she's singing something or the other, I don't know what she's singing, I don't even think God knew what she was singing this morning, but nonetheless, she's giving it large anyway. But it's a matter of the heart, God looks at the heart of what we bring. If we don't know what to sing sometimes, sing in the Spirit. Sing in tongues. Just allow the Spirit to lead you. Lord, I don't know what to sing. Just sing in tongues. Wonderful. Sometimes you forget the words of a a song. Just sing in the Spirit. You know? Don't worry about it. Sometimes I forget what I'm saying halfway through a sentence. I might just start talking in the Spirit. You know? Why not? When we worship, it invokes action. The presence of God causes us to do something. The gospel demands a verdict. It causes you to do something. You're inspired. I want to do something for you, Lord. I want to be a blessing to you because I've been in your presence. It's tangible. And I want to honor you and I want to do something. The presence of God makes you extravagant with your finances in the kingdom. Yeah, when you're in the presence of God, and you've had that encounter with God, and then the offering comes. Say, "Yeah, yeah, Lord, I just want to give Him to the kingdom. I want to bless. I want to make a difference." And there's liberality. Sometimes when you're not in the presence of God, it's offering time it's You know, and we can become, become tight-fisted with the Lord. Yet Scripture says, "Give Him your first fruit, whatever it is, whatever it is, but it's your first fruit. God first. Amen. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then all these things will be added unto you. So when we worship God, when we're genuine, sometimes when we're not sure what to do, instead of phone a friend, 50-50, talk to everybody else, how about talking to God about it first? How about going to God first? If we tend to go to God last, it's the last resort. That's when you know it's serious, I'm going to pray about it. now. it's really bad. What well, about going to God first? Acts 16:22. when Paul and Silas were in prison, and they'd been beaten, they have been thrown into the innermost part of the prison. So they're not in the outer prison, they're in the innermost part of the prison, and their legs, their feet have been put in stocks and chains. They ain't going nowhere. And what do they do? Do they moan? Say, oh, where's God now? Where are the signs and wonders? No, no, no. Do you know what? They sing and worship irrespectively. Because no matter what you're going through in life, God is no less worthy of praise. No matter what we go through, God is no less worthy of praise. And they just began to worship. They had a little worship convention in the prison. And all of a sudden, there was a, a movement and an earthquake and a breaking. And suddenly, they were set free. Most people wouldn't get set free because most people would complain about their circumstances. I didn't sign up to this. I signed up to the prosperity gospel. Where's my new chariot? That's what I'm believing for. I wasn't believing to be put in prison and beaten. Nah, I don't like this one. See? But they sang and they worshipped and suddenly there was a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once all the prison doors flew open and the chains came loose. Wonderful. Brilliant. How did it happen? Because they just loved God and worshipped anyway. Revelations 5 verse 11 says this, talking of worship. I love this. Then I looked and I heard a voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders and in a loud voice they sang worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor, glory and power forever and ever. Oh, wonderful. Oh, how magnificent. Can you imagine being a part of that? Psalm 34, verse 1. I will exalt the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify their God with me. Let's exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him a radiant and their faces are never covered with shame. Isn't that wonderful? Beautiful. David's word. And do you know what he says? Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. He never said let the afflicted get healed and then be grateful and rejoice. It said let the afflicted rejoice. You praise God in the gutter where we are sometimes, not just the mountaintop. But it's the gutter sometimes, and David encouraged them. And David, uh, of all the Old Testament characters, David was the man of worship. Worship, worship, wonderful. And do you know what? We worship with different things. David played the harp, probably played it beautifully, and he could play the harp. And when King Saul was uh, getting troubled and oppressed by the demonic realm. They would call for David, he'd get his harp out and he would play that harp and it would soothe the king. And when he played that harp before God, I think God just absolutely loved the offering that he bought. But I was talking to Luke yesterday, at the end of yesterday, and the Lord gave me a word for him. I said, Luke, you always sit at the back of services You're always doing all the technical stuff, does it in his job uh, (coughs) uh, for all the different organizations he works for and he always does that sitting at the back, half the time not standing up in worship, not getting prayer, this that and the other, always doing this practical thing, making sure that everybody else can see the words, everybody else can worship, everybody else is getting their technical things sorted out, conference yesterday, all looked wonderful, for poor Luke, he's running around like a headless chicken having to solve everyone's problems and technical issues. I said, you know what? Your ability that you've taught yourself with the computers and all the tech, I said, that is your heart. That's your heart, Luke. Oh, that's your your vehicle of offering God your best. That's your worship as you serve him. Now, it doesn't replace tangible worship, and he needs to be in that... But that's what it is. What's your heart. What's your heart? Maybe you're just an encourager. You're just always encouraging people. and that's your heart. That's your offering to the Lord. What's your heart? See? We all might have a different harp, but before God, it's beautiful. Hallelujah. We've got to crave after his presence, after his character, after his glory, after who he is. And the more that we do, the more mature we'll be, the more effective we'll be, the more on fire we'll be, the more consistent, the more mature, you'll get your healing quicker, you'll get your breakthroughs, you'll hear the voice of God clearly, you'll know when the enemy's tapping at your door or whether it's just natural circumstances. It's the presence of God. And you haven't got to be in the middle of a worship seminar to receive it. You can sit in the car, you can do it on the way to work. Whatever it is, it's desiring his character. It's just being sold out for the Lord, sold out for who he is. Not for what what he does is fantastic, but for who he is. That's our desire, that's my desire for this church, that we would be a congregation that are seeking the very face of God and we don't need anything in return. He just does it naturally, but we're not, we don't want anything, as it were. His presence is enough. One day in your presence, better than a thousand elsewhere. Imagine if the whole congregation had that mentality together, that unity together. Let's pray. Hallelujah. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord. Father, we just really desire the glory of the Lord. Lord, when they came away from your presence, that your glory was so radiant, it reflected on their faces. Lord, we want your glory to reflect on our hearts and our minds, our personalities, our lifestyles, Lord God. Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you love us. Thank you, Lord God, you're always building us further than we ever thought we could be, that you're a life transformer. Thank you, Lord, you're not a God of conditions, that you love us unconditionally. We don't earn grace. We receive it. Ah, how wonderful, how wonderful. Father, meet us where we're at. Lord, stir up, stir up a passion for you. Stir up a passion for your kingdom. Stir up a passion for your people. Lord, may you be first. You could be coming back tomorrow. Who knows? The circumstances are right. None of us know when you're going to return. But when you do return, Lord, I pray that I was busy about my father's business. I pray that I was absorbed with what you're calling me to. I pray, Father, that I'll be putting you first. I pray that I'll be honouring you. I might not all be that I want to be in you, but Lord, I'm trying. And I thank you that you meet me on the journey. And Lord, you even desire more than I do. That closeness in relationships His very presence.